Today we're going to take a look again at, at who we are. And it, it occurs to me as I'm uh, watching all of you folks from come forward for communion, um, as God blesses us with numbers, it's important to remember that numbers aren't the goal for us. Our, our goal is to be a part of filling heaven. And Jesus saves us one at a time. And when we come in to worship like this on a Sunday morning in this place or somewhere else, God meets us one at a time. And today we're going to use a, a parable. This series is uh, Who's Really Looking Back at You in the Mirror? We're going to use a parable, and we're going to look three weeks in a row at this one, at this one parable, this one short passage. It's parable of the prodigal son. It's another one in the, the series of parables that Jesus is using to help us understand how greatly God loves and how He opens His arms to us as sinners when we repent and come home. It's known as the prodigal son, but in reality, there's three characters in this parable. There's the younger son, there's the older son, and there's the father. And we, we talk about the prodigal son because he seems to be the, the center of attention, but in reality, we get to know the other two, father and the older brother, well also. What we find out is that there is a father in this parable who at the end we meet whose highest priority isn't about his wealth, it's about his child. It's about how much he loves his family. My guess is that if you will be honest and if you'll look in your mirror over the next three weeks, what you'll find is little bits of yourself in all three of these people. A parable, remember, isn't necessarily a historical accurate event. A parable is a story that Jesus used that is in simple terms about common things to convey a much deeper spiritual truth. And our responsibility is to understand that spiritual truth and say, what is it to me? What is it that I need to learn? How is it that I can grow from that? So my hope and my prayer is, we go over this the next few weeks, that you'll look at the parable of the prodigal son and you'll use it as an opportunity to allow God to, to shine the light of the Holy Spirit on you and, and look yourself in the mirror and ask who you really are. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in Luke 15, uh, starting in the 11th verse. <clears throat> and he, that being Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. <laughs> now, before you all decide that you're nothing but the prodigal son here, let's agree to dive into the deep end of the pool on this one over the next three weeks, and let's look at all three of these characters. And my guess is that you will see bits of yourself in all of them. Verse 11, and he said there was a man who had two sons. Very simply, Jesus is introducing another parable with very little background information. I've heard this parable taught with all kinds of flowery and devastating and dangerous information about the father and the two sons. And the fact is, Jesus doesn't give us that. Jesus introduces it. There's a father that had two sons. But what he does for the first time in this series of parables is he goes from talking about sheep and coins to talking about people. 
All of the characters in this parable are people. In fact, Jesus presents the parable as a family. And we get an understanding of the family relationship, something we can all immediately identify with and relate to, and something that Jesus wants us to get. It's why He calls God in heaven Father. Verse 12, And the younger of them, the younger son, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. This is where it starts getting interesting. Because we get to see the heart of the younger son, and we also get to see a glimpse into the heart of the father. But also, in all fairness, this, this is the part of the parable where you and I have to start saying, okay, who am I really in this parable? Where's my heart and how would I behave in this situation? What would I have done? Which of the three people are you most like? Or maybe, like I said earlier, you will see bits of yourself in all three of them. So what the younger son does is he goes to his father and he makes a demand. He insists on something that is both inappropriate and offensive. He insists on the portion of his father's estate that he believes that he is entitled to. Now, in this day that Jesus told the parable, it would have been generally understood that if there was two sons, the older son would have gotten at least two-thirds of the family wealth upon the father's passing, and the younger son would have gotten about one-third. But the younger boy goes to the father and he demands what he believes is his share of his father's wealth. He's already looking down the road, past enjoying the time that he's got left with his dad, and he's looking to the day that his father dies and says, whatever money's coming to me then, dad, I want it now. He's not willing to stay and to help his father by working with him. No, instead he assumes that his father is going to give him something that he hasn't earned. And he wants it right now. While it should be something coming years down the road, he wants it immediately. You talk about instant gratification. At this point, the son hadn't even earned his inheritance. He, he had no right to it. And so just think of the financial pressure he's putting on his dad. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us what the business is or what the family did to earn their money. But the son goes to the father and he says, whatever my portion is, I want it now. And his father has to be able to liquidate in cash whatever that is going to be down the road in order to give it to the son. Think about the hardship that puts on the father and the brother. Inheritance by its very definition is something that you're giving upon the passing of the owner because they have no more need of it. So what we find out about this son is a few very interesting things. He's rude. He's entitled. He's arrogant. He's unkind. He's selfish. He's self-centered. And he is completely inappropriate. He doesn't ask or invite a conversation about the possibility. He doesn't say, Please, Dad, or hey, Dad, I was thinking. He goes to him and demands. The words that he uses to his father are, Give me. So I think, how do we bring that home to us? Well, how do we talk to our Father who's in heaven? In prayer, right? 
How often do we go to God in prayer and say, give me? How often do we go to God and say, this is what I need, or this is how you can fix it, or this is the problem you can solve, and this is how I want you to do it. I wonder how often we go to our Father in Heaven with the demand that is essentially, give me just like this younger son. Rather than going to God in gratitude and gratefulness and thanksgiving, saying, thank you for everything that you do for me every day. I wonder how, we go, how often we go to God and say, give me. See, the son doesn't care about his father. He doesn't care about his brother. He doesn't care about the effect on their estate or its value or its operations. The only thing he cares about is himself and his selfish want. And what he wants is what he believes he's entitled to. What he was really demanding, of course, was his independence from his father. He was demanding independence from the responsibility of earning money and contributing to the family. He wanted to be set free. He demanded to be set free from the responsibility to his father and to his brother. And and then on top of that, he demands, give me, that the father pay him in advance for his freedom. I think, can you even imagine? But if we're going to be honest looking in the mirror, yes, we can because we've all done it. In the verses that follow, we learn a lot more about this young man. But at this point, realizing that this is the way, this is a parable about the way that God loves us and allows us as sinners to stray from Him, we can make some pretty good in, uh, understandings, some pretty good guesses about what the son's intentions really are based on how it is that people, you and I, tend to feel about and rebel against God our Father. Because the Father in the parable, of course, is our Father in heaven. What we see is the Son rejecting His Father. And in doing that, He's rejecting the life the Father has created for and offers to this younger Son. He's rejecting the life that His Father offers Him. He's rejecting making memories and the relationship with His Father and brother. And my guess, and this isn't in the Bible, so be clear about that. My guess is that what the son has decided is, Dad expects too much from me. It isn't realistic. He doesn't get it. He isn't fair. He wants the son to work harder than the son is willing to work, and he's not willing to live up to the expectations of living in Dad's house. So he wants out. And he's not just going to leave. He's going to take what he thinks he deserves. He probably feels like the Father's only going to keep him from having fun and hinder his freedom to truly live the way he wants to. He probably thinks that Dad is too strict, doesn't get it, and doesn't understand what it is to be young. So he goes to his Father and he says, Give me. The Son demanded freedom without expectation or supervision at the cost of a real relationship with his dad. But I bet he didn't think about any of that. So what does the Father do? This is the first time we get to see the heart of the Father. The Bible says He divides up His wealth between the two, not just the younger, but the older also. The Father gave everything He had to those two boys because of the arrogant rebelliousness of the younger son. The Father must have thought, well, if He's going to demand it, then I'm going to give it to the older one as well. And the Bible says that He divided up His possessions and He gave them to the two of them. Verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had 
And he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. This is one of those verses where I really appreciate each individual word in the Bible because they tell us so much. And what I've told you before, one of the things that I do when I work on a message or when I read the Bible for myself is I ask why. Why is that word there? Why is that phrase there? Why does the Bible tell us that bit? This verse opens that up. So the younger son, what he does is he packs up all of his possessions, everything that he had. It would have included the things that were in his father's house, things that his father had given him as gifts, things that he'd never earned but that he called and assumed were his own. And he heads off on a journey by himself with his father's money into a faraway country. Far from his father, far from his brother, far from whatever friends or rest of family he might have, far from anyone who would know or recognize or expect any basic set of standards or expectations from him. Far from anybody who he would have to be accountable to in any way. He literally ran away. The Bible says he went off. He ran away from everything that he knew. Everyone who had ever cared about him. He left his relationship with his father and brother and he went away to a faraway country. And what did he do when he got there? He didn't wisely invest the inheritance that his father gave him. He didn't sit down and say, okay, now I've got all this money. My father was very generous. I probably need to make sure that I put this away somewhere that I've got it for the rest of my life. Wasn't what he did. Wasn't even what he thought about. It wasn't how his mind worked. He didn't do anything of intelligence or value. Instead, without supervision or accountability, he squandered his property in reckless living. What the Greek actually translates is debaucherous living. You'll have to think for yourself what that may have meant because the Bible doesn't tell us. But I wonder, a young person today, pompous and full of themselves with daddy's money in hand, would probably make many of the same stupid choices that this kid did. He squandered and wasted and used up and ran out of everything that he had. And I wonder, do we even begin to comprehend how much it is that God has given us? Do we even begin to think about what God has done on our behalf before we even look to Him to provide? Do we even consider what our Heavenly Father has given? makes me think about the question posed here by Pastor Jeff a few weeks ago. Are you mature enough to handle the freedom that Christ gives you? Are you mature enough to handle the freedom that Christ gives you? That one hits hard. God, our Heavenly Father has offered us forgiveness from all of our sins, from the very worst of who we are and the very worst of who we can be. And it was all at the cost of the life of His Son, Jesus. Jesus offers us the ultimate freedom, a fresh start, a clean slate, a, a real life do-over. He gives us the freedom from the one thing we cannot fix or make right on our own, our own sinfulness. And I read this parable and I think, how much must God love us that He gave us our freedom while we were still sinners? How much must God love you? He gives us our inheritance of eternal life where we're still living in active rebellion against Him. How much, God love, how much must God love us to do that? 
How much does He love us that He allowed His Son to die for us so that we could receive our inheritance and know the freedom of the forgiveness of sins? How much love does that take? And what's our response? Do you live a life worthy of the freedom and the gift that you've been given in Jesus? Or do you live a life of selfish arrogance? Running away from any sense of accountability or standard or expectation. How much our Heavenly Father loves us. I knew a guy at seminary, not in communication with him anymore. He he drank like nobody I knew. He... uh, he swore like nobody I knew. Lived in seminary housing and he lived a life of selfish rebellion the likes of which I had never seen. He went on to graduate. Got a call as a pastor in a very prestigious area of the country. Shook my head and just asked why. So I went to talk to him and I said, do you plan to change your language and your drinking and the way that you live when you go out and start pastoring a church? plan to do anything about the profanity, the binge Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays? You know what his answer was? He said, no way. I live knowing that I'm forgiven and I can do anything I want to do. And I thought, man, that is just tragic. Yeah, you're forgiven, but that doesn't mean you get to do anything you want to do. For a long time, I prayed that God would send him someone to help him understand forgiveness. And then in some small measure, he would grasp the price that Jesus paid for him to be such an arrogant and pompous fool. Don't know about him today. What's your gut response to a guy like that? More importantly, how do you handle your freedom? How do you handle the freedom in the life that God has given you? How do you handle your freedom in Christ? See, God loves us so much that He allows us to live out our freedom however we want to. In the Amish tradition, they've got a a name for living out your personal freedom. It's called Rumspringa. It means running around. It's a time that, that the Amish community sets up for their adolescence to leave the safety of the Amish community and go out into the darkness of the world. It's a time that they're allowed to be foolish and selfish and completely without supervision. And the hope is that they'll realize what they really want is life with their Amish friends and family. But they get to live out whatever their idea of freedom might be. And they've got this word and this season and this time set away for this life of independent freedom. But as Christians, we just call it life. We believe we've got the right to choose whatever life we want to live. And the fact is, we do. God gives us that freedom. But not every version of the life we choose is right. And not every version is God-honoring. That's why the Bible talks about becoming a new creation when we meet Jesus. It talks about becoming a new creation when we accept the gift of salvation and the freedom that comes with that. And we place Jesus as Lord of our lives. It's why growing and maturing as a Christian is so important. It's why making Jesus Lord of our life, not just simply accepting the free gift of salvation, is so important. And why becoming a disciple of His matters so much. 
if we don't intentionally and, and with humility choose the things of God, then we are intentionally choosing to misuse our freedom and to squander what has been given to us and we become the things of this world. God, the Creator of this great universe that we live in, has already in advance provided you with the richest inheritance imaginable in the forgiveness of your sins. And how does that happen? Through the agonizing death and the resurrection of His only Son. And the gift to us is the promise of eternal life. And now God's waiting. He's waiting for your answer. What is your response to the gift of your heavenly inheritance? Maybe you accepted it a long time ago and you became the prodigal and ran away and it's time to come home. Maybe you've never completely understood it. Maybe you say, I live a good life. I don't hurt people. You know what? I believe in Jesus. I'm good to go. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Do you live for you or do you live for Him? Where, where is your greatest priority? Are you mature enough to handle the freedom that you have in Jesus? And if you choose to be one of those people, and I've met a lot of them, if you choose to wait, if you choose to say, I'm going to deal with it later, i got some living to do, being a Christian doesn't sound that much fun to me. It, 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 it sounds like there's a, raw, a lot of wor- uh, rules, a lot of expectations. It sounds to me like there's, there's too many things you have to be paying attention to. I'm going to wait. I'm going to figure it out later. I hope that this morning you hear a little bit of the prodigal son in your thinking. But even doing that, that's still a response. It's still an answer. And the answer that you're giving to God because you don't know how long you've got on this earth, your answer is no thank you. However, maybe you're ready to accept the inheritance God offers you in Jesus. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you're the prodigal who's ready to come back home again. It's why we have people after every service in the four corners. They're there to pray with you. You might not even know what to say. You might not even know how to approach God with an apology. You know what? They're there to help you with that. They're there to talk to you and to pray with you. What's your response? Are you ready to live a life of gratitude and personal transformation and to begin a life of Christian discipleship? Or are you quite comfortable as the stubborn prodigal son or daughter who rejects life with his father and chooses separation from him. See, God loves you enough to let you make that choice. Choice is yours. God has given you everything you need to build your life in him. And he's given you all of the freedom to live your life without him. And what it boils down to, it's why God meets us one at a time. Jesus saves us one at a time. It boils down to your choice. What choice will you make for your life? What will you choose? Who will you be? Who will be number one to you? Are you going to hang on as a prodigal to be a number one in your life? Or are you going to say, Jesus, I want you to be my number one. Thank you for your gift of salvation. Will you now be the Lord of my life? God loves you so much that He lets you choose. Let's pray. Thank You, God, for the wise teaching of Jesus. Thank You for the way that He taught in parables that not everyone can understand, but because of Your Word, we're able to look at it, to read and reread, and we're able to understand. Thank You, God, that in Your wisdom that we don't even begin to comprehend or understand, You loved us so much. Even while 
We are sinners in active rebellion against You. You sent Your Son to die for us and for our sins. And the greatest thing in this life that we could ever squander would be to not understand and appreciate and accept that gift that You give. We all have our own version of debaucherous living. We all have our own version of being the prodigal son or daughter, being the prodigal mom or dad. But God, You're just waiting for us to come home. You're waiting for us to recognize who we are, but even more importantly, You're waiting for us to recognize who You are and how much You love us. I pray, Father, in the power of Your Holy Spirit that that would be clear. That we would understand that. That we would understand the way that we are so quick to think like the darkness of this world. But that You are there waiting for us to come home to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know about you, but I've never been a fan of looking into the mirror. Sometimes, you know, we have to. And part of what we're going to learn in this series is the, the truth of the matter is that we're people that want our inheritance without responsibility too. We want blessings without obedience. We want freedom without accountability. But what we need is Jesus. And so the good thing is that I can say to you, my fellow prodigal sons and daughters, Jesus still loves us. Even when we make the worst of choices and we commit the most grievous of sins, He still loves us. He still wants us to come home. But what do you really want? Who do you really want? Who will you choose? What life will you live? God loves you so much that the only one that can make that decision is you. What will you choose? He sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins and raised Him from the grave so that our sins might be forgiven and we might choose Him. Who will you choose and what will you do?